invite you to stand and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 43. So we're in Isaiah 43 this morning, and something uh, important for Isaiah 43. What a great passage we have before us. So there, if you look in English, in the English Bible, and I happen to use the English Standard Version of the Bible, the highest concentration of this command, fear not, appears in Isaiah 11 times. Now, that makes perfect sense because you have a people who are facing the very judgment of God, rightly due to them for sin, and facing going into exile. So that makes sense. 11 times we read in Isaiah, fear not. Now, that is the highest concentration. Next up, Genesis and Luke are tied for three times. So we're almost four times the frequency in Isaiah. You get this command, fear not. Two of them appear uh, here in this passage. It's relevant to what God's ancient people were facing. It's relevant to what we are facing. We are not called to be these chicken little, fearful, evangelical Christians. So if if, if you're worried, if you're anxious about the condition of the world, welcome to the good news of the gospel that speaks over our fears. So I'll read to you Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. Let's hear from God's word. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help the reality of fearing not to be ours in our next few moments together And today and this week, would you show us, lead us, and guide us in the kind of life and obedience you want us to render to you as our sacrifice of praise. Help us with our fears, worries, and anxieties, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you tend to be a little bit a notch into that worried, fearful side, of life, welcome, and I hope to stoke that and poke at that a little bit uh, now. So did you know there are over 500 kinds of phobias that are recognized by psychologists? Over 500. And so I picked a list, and if you, if you suffer from one of these, uh, we love you and we care about you. So the first one, these are rare phobias, coraphobia, fear of dancing. 
Some of us might need to develop that. Fear of dancing, chorophobia. Then there's pagonophobia, fear of beards. People are afraid of beards. Pagonophobia. I like this one, phobophobia. Fear of fear. Phobophobia. And then this one takes the cake. Hippopotamonstrositis quipedalophobia. That's one word. Let me try it again. Hippopotamonstrosis quipedalophobia. Fear of long words. That's what that one is. Somebody had a lot of fun making that up. So we know there are things to be afraid of. A lot of things we can be afraid of in this world. And we've sort of had the, the lighthearted side of being afraid. And of course, in Bernie, Texas, we have a few particular fears. Uh, we have the fear of traffic. Uh, and now we'll get a little more serious. We have the fear of that which I've worked hard for being taken from me. That which I've worked hard for being taken from me. We fear not having enough, not having enough money, not having enough love, not having enough toilet paper. Evidently, that's a fear. And on a more serious side, we fear death, we fear a health decline, we fear a bad diagnosis, we fear aging. And if you're on the younger end of the spectrum, you might fear being alone. As you get older, you will long to be alone. But if you're younger, you fear being alone, and loneliness is a real challenge. You may fear failing a test. Oh, I've been there, done that. We may fear being made fun of. We may fear not uh, knowing sort of what we're going to do with our life. I know I'm still trying to figure it out. But we might fear, where do I go to college? Will I make the right choice? All these choices that we're facing, am I going to do the right thing and make the right choice. These are some of the fears that we have. And we're living in fearful times. I mean, just get in a crowded space, you know, where you're kind of shoulder to shoulder with people and sneeze. <laughs> we have things to be afraid of. Even a year, two, three years ago, we didn't know to be afraid of. People are afraid and we all struggle with that. We fear maybe a loved one of ours getting sick or getting hurt or our kids having a hard time or struggling. There are a lot of things that we can fear. What do we do about it? What do we do about it besides stew? What do we do about it besides complain and worry and be anxious? Does the scripture offer us help here? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is what we do with our fears, and that's what Isaiah 43 helps us with. It addresses our fears, and we think about, we can go all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, the first time someone appears to be afraid in the scripture, Adam and Eve were afraid, and what did they do? They hid from the Lord, and this is an invitation that we together as God's people would address our fears, and we together would live life fearing not. So how do we get there? How do we get there? If we're not going to live life afraid, 
How do we get there? It, it, it's an argument from identity. And what I mean by that is it's who we are, and it's more importantly who God is, and most importantly, it's who we are in relation to God that allows our fears to go away, that dispels our fears. In other words, our fears are dealt with. We can actually fear not. Why? Because of who God is, because of who we are. Because of who God is, because of who we are. And so let's look at first, the first point here. We are God's protected people. You don't have to fear because if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, if you placed your faith in Him, then you are one of His protected people. And you see this in the first two verses of Isaiah 43. And we read this, but now thus says the Lord. So, so here it comes, the locomo locomotive is going, the engine is running, and here let's look what comes behind it. This is what God says that Isaiah records for us. This is the, he is the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, fear not. I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. We get the reasoning there on why we shouldn't fear. The Lord says, bless you, created, see it's changed, we're like, um, Fear not. Uh, thus says the Lord. He created, He formed, He redeemed, He called. You are mine, God says. And that's why we don't have to fear. And we're protected. You see, it's who God is. If you believe in this God who is in charge, He's the Lord. If you believe that God has created, formed you, redeemed you, and called you, you have no reason to fear why He's going to protect you. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters. Oh, how I wish that said if. Don't you? But the reality, the Scripture is true to life. You're going to go through hard times. And this is not just when you go to a creek crossing, but this is speaking figuratively here of any kind of trial, temptation, or hardship that you face. When you pass through the waters, the assurance isn't that the waters aren't going to rise. The assurance is what comes next there in verse 2. I will be with you. You see, even though the waters are splashing up on us and there are, is real hardship, tragedy, suffering, and trials in this world, I will be with you. God's presence with us is what comforts us. It's not because we're brave or courageous people. Because if you up the level of the waters high enough, all of us are fearful and get scared. It's, I will be with you. That's what gives us comfort. I will be with you. So God is with his people to protect them. And we read further in verse 2, Through the rivers they shall not overcome you when you walk through the fire. Again, we wish it were if, but it's when. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. So speaking figuratively here, 
of those challenges that we meet where God superintends these to sanctify us and to burn the dross off of our lives, those are things that are extremely difficult. But we don't have to fear. Why? Because God created, formed, redeemed, and He called you mine. He calls us. We belong to Him. We are His people. And so when you think about the challenges, the times you're going through deep waters or uh, you're walking through the fire, you remember who God is and you remember that we are His protected people. Back in the 90s, there was a comedy show. It was really funny. I'm not going to say the name because I don't think it's funny anymore. But you might remember it. And Al Franken was on it and maybe he should have stuck to, to uh, comedy. I don't know. Uh, you know, later he became a politician. But uh, he played a character named Stuart Smalley on this. This is back in the 90s. And, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look it up on YouTube um, and, and you'll see it. And you might remember the Stuart Smalley character. There was a little piece, a little comic sketch um, of daily affirmations with Stuart Smalley. Some of you remember this. He'd, he'd be wearing a cardigan or something and sitting in a chair in front of a mirror, and then he would say affirmations to himself to sort of bolster and build himself up. This is how he got ready for his day, and he met challenges. He said good things about himself into the mirror, and somehow this was supposed to affirm and help him, and it was very funny. And he ended everyone. Do you remember how he ended Every little sketch, he ended it this way. He said into the mirror, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. That's what he would say. And I understand if you've never seen it, this might be hard to imagine, but what I'm getting at is sometimes we say these sorts of empty things to ourselves. We say these or to our loved ones when they are meeting real hard and difficult challenges. And you know, when our kid tells us they're afraid, sometimes as a parent we jump to, there's nothing to be afraid of. Do you ever do that? There's nothing to be afraid of. But I'm scared. There's nothing to be scared of. That doesn't help, does it? We haven't resolved anything. We've ignored the emotional state of our child We've ignored the fact that they are afraid. And I'm telling you this because that's not what the Scripture does. The Scripture doesn't sit you down and tell you there's nothing to be afraid of. Instead, the Scripture tells you, look, you're going to pass through deep waters. You're going to almost be overwhelmed by rivers. You're going to walk through fire. There are things to be afraid of, but you can fear not because of the significance and the substance of who God is, what He does, and how He protects His people. You see, this isn't an empty us looking into the mirror, telling ourselves not to be afraid. This is God looking down on us, reminding us that He created us, formed us, redeemed us, and called us. We are His. We're His protected people and that's why we have nothing to fear. So saying not to be afraid when we are afraid isn't enough. Instead, what the Scripture does is bases the lack of fear 
in the very character of who God is and how he relates to us. And with this substantive, significant reason not to fear and an understanding that we are God's protected people, we can move forward then and face whatever it is we have to face. So God's, we're God's protected people. Fear not. We are God's protected people. He's going to take care of us. He's the one who created, formed, redeemed, called us, and we are his. He's going to protect us is the assurance we need to dispel our fears. But as well, another reason we don't need to fear is in verses 3 and 4, and it's that we are God's precious people. God's precious people. Look at this in verse 3. For I am the Lord your God. So this is a declaration. What Isaiah does here is he stacks up three titles of God. The Lord your God, Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Because what's being communicated here is the very character of who God is, his power, his holiness. Holy One of Israel is one of Isaiah's favorite titles. And he is our Savior. And as a result, he, we are precious to him. How do we know that we're precious? Uh, look here in verse 3. I give Egypt as your ransom cushion Seba in exchange for you. So the idea here in a ransom, uh, you get the point. You read the news. Somebody gets kidnapped. Somebody pays something of value to free that person. And what God's saying here is you are precious to him. He does that for his ancient people. He does that for us in Christ, doesn't he? We were held ransom, not ransom to the devil. We were held ransom to God's perfect holy standard. The wrath of God was due to us for sin, but Christ has paid the ransom. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And so we see that we are precious. How do you know the value of anything? It's what you paid for it. It's what you paid for it. And so we see here that God's people are precious to him and that's, in point of fact, the exact thing that's said there in verse 4. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored. So honored, I mean, can you imagine here for a moment, what kind of logic is going on here? This is scandalous. We don't deserve honor. We are sinners before a holy God. We deserve judgment. And yet part of the gospel message is this understanding that we get that which we don't deserve and cannot earn. We are precious in his eyes, honored, and I love you. There are those three important words in the English language that are mentioned to us there, that God loves us. He gives men in return for, for you, peoples in exchange for your life. God has a priority, a special love. Does he love all humankind? Absolutely. Or... Uh, but he specially loves his people and places a priority on them. That's what's being communicated here. So to be precious is to be prized, to have a high value. We are loved by God. And I mentioned there's a degree of absurdity here in scandal because we don't deserve this. And if you look back at Isaiah 42, the chapter before this, and the verse before Isaiah 43, 1, which is Isaiah 42, 25, we read, So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of a battle. 
it set him on fire all around, but he did not understand it burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. And so how is Israel described? A people who didn't take what God said to heart. And the amazing thing is, this is being communicated to a people who haven't repented. They haven't nationally turned back to God yet. And what does God say to them? Fear not, for I, he says, because you are precious in my eyes, honored, and I love you. God extends love to people prior to their response to the gospel. How do I know that? Well, I know it because Romans 5a, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God extends this love to people, then comes the response. We see that as well in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so the idea here is that we are meant to reflect this same kind of love that God has for us to those around us. This is how we apply this. As we understand that we are God's precious people loved by Him, we can love those who are undeserving in our life. Why would we do that? I mean, that's crazy talk, isn't it? No, it isn't. We are those who have received undeserved love, that we might show that same love to others who don't deserve it in our lives. That's what being part of what being a Christian means. God's people from time immemorial have loved those who persecuted them, and we are called to that same kind of love, that we are merely extending the same kind of love that God has shown us to others. So think about in your own life, maybe there's somebody you're estranged from, Maybe there's a family relationship where offense needs to be uh, mended. Maybe you have somebody at your office that is difficult to deal with. Um, someone else besides yourself who's difficult to deal with. You get my point. That God has loved us in an incredibly undeserved way. And we are called to extend that same love to others. So, so far, what we've seen, fear not. We are not going to be the chicken little, fearful, evangelicals, worried and anxious, running around in Bernie, Texas. We are going to be the ones who fear not. Why is that? Is it because we're particularly courageous? No, it's because of who God is and because of who we are. And the work that God has done, look at verse 1, He created, formed, redeemed, called, you are mine, He protects His people, we are precious to Him. We've just read about that we are precious in His eyes, honored, and He loves us. He gives people in exchange for us. He puts a priority on us. He sent Christ for us. That's how precious you are, the blood of Christ shed for you and for sinners like me. And we wrap this passage up, and the reason, third reason we don't need to fear is we are God's prevailing people. God's prevailing people. If you're a Christian, you belong to the victorious team. The victorious team. And this is in verses 5 through 7. Again, we get this command, fear not, and it is tied to God's presence with us. Verse 5, fear not, for I am with you. 
And then now we have God's regathering of his people mentioned. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. So what's happening here is God is declaring that he's going to regather his people post-exile. They're going to be conquered by the Persians, and they're going to be taken off into exile. And before that happens, God assures his people, I'm going to regather you. I'm going to bring you back to this place. And we read about that earlier in our worship service in Nehemiah 4. So God's people prevail. We are on the winning side of all eternity, and it's part of why we do not fear. God will regather. He promises to regather his people after the exile, and he promises to regather us because we are in a kind of exile. He promises at the end of the ages to regather his people where there we will eat together and celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb, something that is prefigured here at the Lord's table. God will regather his saints then in heaven, just as he did after the exile as is predicted here. So there's a near fulfillment, regathering after the exile. There's a distant fulfillment, God regathering his saints at the end of time when Christ returns to be together. And then if you look in verse 7, this verse 7 refers back to verse 1 in an endless loop, celebrating who God is and forever communicating his love and affirmation for his people that we might fear not. Look in verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, and we already read in verse 1, I have called you by name. And then, whom I created for my glory, verse 7. Whom I formed and made, verse 7. And we read about he who created you, verse 1. He who formed you, O Israel, in verse 1. It creates this uh, in literature, a bookend. Uh, uh, the end is like the beginning, and it neatly wraps up in a loop that is forever extolling the goodness of God and the greatness of God up against our fears, worries, and anxieties. You know, as in, uh, talk about fearful things, I was in Austin uh, this weekend. We had our uh, uh, four times a year, quarterly, we gather together for our Presbytery meetings, happened to be in Austin, so I was in Austin uh, this weekend, and um, I understand if you don't want to talk to me. And anyway, I was, you know, I don't know my way around San Antonio, so I really don't know my way around Austin, so I was using Google, or uh, Apple Maps, I was using Apple Maps to get around, and, and it kept popping up excessive heat warning. Okay, it's 106 in Austin. It was hotter on Friday in Austin than down here. 106. Keeps popping up this warning, excessive heat warning. Have you noticed this? I was like, I can't even see where I'm going. I got to get this thing off of there. So I had to, you know, figure out how to turn that off. But, but my point is we live in this sort of culture that's always warning us, always warning us, obsessively warning us about things. 
Excessive heat warning? I'm from Texas. I know what it's like in August. All these warnings foster in us fragility, doesn't it? Uh, it makes us fragile, makes us worried. I mean, 2023 is going to go down in history as the year Texans complained the most about the weather. All these endless, constant warnings and obsessions with safety diminish our resiliency. And I think they strike at the resiliency and the wisdom that God gives us as his people as well. I mean, just think about it for a moment. You, if you buy one of these uh, battery-powered tools, as I did a couple, couple months ago, I mean, the instruction book, it's like an encyclopedia or something, and it's, it's 50 pages of warnings. You know, don't, don't stick the lithium-ion battery in the microwave and heat it on high for 10 minutes, <laughs> you know? Because, because the lawyers figured out, oh, somebody's going to stick this battery in the microwave and heat it for 10 minutes, and you didn't tell them not to. And they're going to sue us, and we're going to have to settle. You get my point. It's these constant uh, obsession with safety and alerting you to what could happen that fosters in us this lack of resiliency as God's people, this fragility that we have where we are running around like chicken little, worried about what's going to happen next when we worship a God who has already told us he's going to see you through the deep water. He's going to see you through the fire. He will be with you. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be anxious about or to worry about. God's providence guards us. And our concern and obsession with our own safety. Oh, be careful. The, the beverage you're about to enjoy is hot. I know that. I feel it burn in my hand. You put it in two cups because it's so hot. Or you put a sleeve on it. I know, it's hot. They also, not only do they diminish our own resiliency, but they really diminish the victory of God the victory of God. We are headed to a total and complete victory if you're one of God's people. And the victory of God, which is prefigured now, will finally culminate for certain. And we are called to live into and by that certainty and not to be formed and shaped. Because many of us are formed and shaped liturgically by the warnings and uh, obsession with safety that's happening all around us. Yes, I want you to be careful. I want you to take care of yourself, of course. But I don't need my app to tell me it's hot outside. I don't need that. And so together, we can move forward in this crazy world, fearing not, anxious for nothing, with a peace that surpasses all comprehension. No, it doesn't make sense. What makes sense is who our God is. And we tie our lack of fear, fearing not, to who God is and to who we are. He's the one who created, formed, redeemed, and called. We are His. He will protect us. 
We are precious to him. Hear these words again. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, God will take care of you. And we are his prevailing people. Absolutely. All the way to victory through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you give us every reason that we don't need to fear. Help us now to live into uh, that truth. Help us to live into that truth that we together might rightly reflect the wonder of your glory and the goodness of the gospel message. And I pray for those who are, those of us who are struggling with fears, those of us who are in the midst of the fire, trial, temptation, hardship, that you will bear up under us as you promise because we are precious and let us know, feel, and experience and apprehend how great your love is for your precious people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.